The following message is from Grace City Church in Ottawa. For more information, please visit gracecity.ca. We've been in in the book of Exodus for a little while now, so we're going to be in Exodus 21 this morning. Now, um, often in this church, we, we we will take the Bible and we will read an entire chapter of the Bible together. We've done that a number of times. I'm not going to do that this morning, uh, because the section that we're actually looking at this morning is, is more than one chapter. It's actually chapter 21 through well into chapter 23. And uh, this is the part of the Exodus story where God gives his people laws and commands about community life. Okay? Uh, a week or two ago, we looked at the Ten Commandments, and we were looking at God's moral law, which is given. Many of us are familiar uh, with the Ten Commandments. Even if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, probably you've heard of the Ten Commandments or seen it depicted in films or uh, things like that. But what we're moving into now, laws for community life. This is a big section and it follows God's moral law. And this morning, uh, I'm going to focus on verses 1 to 6 of of chapter 21. Now, the reason I'm doing that is because in all of this section, in all of God's commands pertaining to community life, we see things that for us are, are going to be culturally, they're going to be quite different. There are going to be things in there that we might even find offensive, things in there that we might even find confusing. And that certainly applies to what we're looking at in verses 1 through 6, which deal with the treatment of slaves, I'm sure that's why you've all come to church this morning, is to hear about this. It's peculiar, isn't it? But the Bible talks about this. It talks about this at the beginning of Exodus chapter 21. And believe it or not, this is actually relevant for us today. And further to that, we still, the wonderful thing about this book, we can still see Jesus even in this section, even in something written hundreds of hundreds of years ago, at a different time, into a different culture that has to do with slavery, something that for us today, understandably and rightfully, is something of an offensive topic, still we can see Jesus in it. So, so please don't switch off. Please don't disconnect and just think, oh, this is just the pastor's teaching about something really archaic and it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with, with life in Ottawa or anything concerning my relationship with Jesus. No, it does. It does. Let's, let's humble ourselves and approach this, this book with humility, with an open mind. So, Exodus chapter 21, I'm just going to read verses 1 to 6, and it says this. It says, now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever." Laws about slaves. As I said, I I, I suspect for most of us, this is not what we were expecting as we came to church uh, this morning. But this is what we often experience when we open the Word of God. We find ourselves sometimes uh, being surprised or even shocked by what we read, by some of the content 
in it. Uh, sometimes even being offended. I suspect that many in this room have had experiences of that. Maybe you actually carry that in with you even this morning. Maybe you think, okay, well, I'll go to church, but there's so much about church. There's so much about God. There's so much about the Bible that I just don't like. There's so much in there that's just, it's just like really hard to talk to my family about, really hard to talk to my, my friends about. When they ask me questions about it, it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just really tough. Look, I, I get that. This book deals with really difficult subject matter. In this section that I'm making reference to, so from chapter 21 through into uh, the first few verses of chapter 23, here are some different things that are mentioned uh, through that section. Slavery, which we're looking at a bit this morning, severe injuries, theft, rape, bestiality, and lying. I mean, that's, that's quite the list, isn't it? That's just in over two chapters here. Now, if we think, oh, no, now, now in our modern, our modern era, you know, we're, we're enlightened people now, we're progressive people now, there's, there's stuff like this, n- not, none of that stuff ever happens. That, 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 that's, that's, in, that's in another culture. Well, that, that's just cultural arrogance, isn't it? If, if, if you think that these things are only in ancient cultures and that, there, that there's nothing of that today, then, then you've got your head stuck in the sand, or as Canadians, your head stuck in the snow, I would say, because these things still do exist today. Life today still can be ugly. Life today still can be messy. And the Bible is not afraid to speak into the ugliness and the messiness of life and the ugliness and the messiness of the human heart. That, that's what this book is so concerned with. It's not just trying to control your external behavior. It's about heart change and actually having an honest look at the human heart and when we do that honestly, we go, oh, it's, it's, it's not good. We need help. Not only do we need uh, help, we need a new heart. This isn't just about human improvement. This is about being given a new heart. And that's the very thing that God does for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So it's into this brokenness that God is speaking to his people in this part of the Exodus story. They were in slavery in Egypt. They've been set free. They've been redeemed, rescued in the most dramatic way by God. But after 430 years of slavery, there's a lot that they had taken on from the culture that they were in, but also things that had happened among them as a people themselves that God's having to sort out. And God wants them to be a people of peace. God wants them to be a people who are prospering. And that's part of what this law is about, these laws for community life. It's so that God's people will do well with each other. He's already given the moral law, the things that God, as the, 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 the righteous, holy God who has redeemed them, things that he wants for them, have no other gods before me and the other commandments. But now he's moving into, okay, now here's how you should treat each other. But we must remember that God is speaking into a unique culture at a unique point in history. He's speaking into a unique culture in a unique point in history. If we try to make sense of these instructions, including these instructions about the treatment of slaves, but we try to apply our own cultural perspective on that to theirs, we're going to end up in a really difficult place. It's actually quite an unfair thing to do. And here's, here's why. Our understanding of this topic of slavery slavery, is largely, overwhelmingly shaped by our own cultural teaching and interpretation of this. And for 
forgive me for a moment, I'll speak in sweeping generalizations. I know not everybody here is Canadian. But as Canadians, we largely understand slavery through American history, through our neighbors to the south. Now that, as a brief aside, at worst, that sometimes assumes that Canada has no role in this at all ourselves, which we do. But even still, we tend to perceive this, we tend to understand this through the story and the history of American slavery, where we read and are taught and learn about people who are taken against their will, they're held captive, they're they're treated as property, and it's horrible. It is absolutely horrible. I'm... I want to be very clear. I am not in any way going to try to stand up here and make a defense for that. It's, it's wicked, it's evil, and it, 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 it devalues human life. Okay? And my, my views on that are shaped from the Bible, from this book. But we then take our understanding of that and the cultural and historical context, and we then apply it to other cultures where the same word is used. And that's what gets us into some problems. Because what is true in one culture at one period of history is not automatically true in its fullness in another culture, in another period of history. So very briefly, and this is not the the, the main point of, of my preaching from the Bible this morning, is to tell you what slavery was really like in the Bible. Because I think was, we should aim higher than that okay, when we're coming together and we're opening the Word of God together. But still, I do think it's important because I recognize, we recognize that culturally, there are many people that will read things like Exodus chapter 21, and perhaps this is some of us here this morning, and we go, look, this, this is proof that God is pro-slavery. Like, like, read these words, read these verses. Clearly, God is cool with this, and I, don't, I, I cannot worship a God who is okay with that. Well, hang on, I, I get it, okay? You're, it's right to be offended, okay, by some of this, but let's just slow down. Let's just slow down a bit. Let's approach this and go, is it saying what we think it's saying? Or perhaps is it saying and describing something different? Is slavery, as we understand it today, the same thing as what's being spoken about here in Exodus chapter 21? No, no, it is not. Our view of slavery assumes that the slave has no voice in their own affairs. And given what we know about modern slavery, this assumption is well-founded. There are, I mean, CBC regularly has stories about human trafficking and other news outlets. There, there are horrible modern stories of slavery, things that happen today, including, friends, including here in our own city. Like, let, let's, not, let's not be foolish about this and just think this stuff only happens in other places. This, this happens stone's throws from this building, okay? This happens in Ottawa. This is a live issue for us today here in Canada, in Ontario, here in Ottawa, in Canada's capital itself. Our view of slavery assumes that the slave has no voice in their own affairs, but that's not what we see here in Exodus chapter 21. So in verse 5, it says, but if the slave plainly says, I love my master, let's just, again, let's slow down a little bit and look at that. The slave here has a voice, not only a voice, but clearly an affinity for their master. And there's no reason that we need to assume that there is not also an affinity on the part of the master towards the slave. In cases here, there are cases where that person chooses to enter into that. And in doing so, they receive care from their master. Now, again, I know that's language that we go, ah, don't like that language. But again, this is, this is a historical book 
that translators are having to be faithful, as faithful as they can to the original. And this is a language that comes the closest. But that doesn't mean that we have to assume that all of these words mean exactly what we assume they mean within our culture. Okay? In this case, clearly, slaves have a voice and an affinity towards their master. And again, we have no reason to assume that that affinity from the master to the slave is not there as well, because the text also speaks about the master giving things to the slave, including a spouse, including a daughter. Now, again, we get a bit offended by that. Oh, a master giving a daughter in marriage. But those of you who are married, let me ask you, what was said at your wedding was the question asked, who gives this woman away? Well, that was said in a lot of weddings that are represented in this church, okay, in this room, in our city. And let's just, again, slow down a little bit. Are, are we quite as different in that as we think we are? No, there are still some historical things that we apply in a similar way. Exodus 21 does not assume hatred or animosity between the master and the slave. It speaks in feeling that goes beyond mere loyalty and involves affinity and even love for the master as well. Now, if you find these verses hard, and again, I'm focusing on verses 1 to 6, okay, because in, the, in how Exodus 21 speaks about slavery and what I'm trying to draw our attention to in terms of a different cultural understanding, that can be applied as well to other things that we read beyond verse 6 pertaining to laws for community life. So I'm using this as an example. Okay, but if you find these verses hard, and I, I understand if you do, okay, I, I, I grew up, I've, I went, I've got two, uh, two liberal arts degrees myself. I've been in different settings where there is a lot of cynicism and criticism about this book. Okay? And I've been in contexts, many contexts, where people have drawn me to verses like this and have said, see, clearly, clearly God is, is, is pro this. Clearly God is for slavery and I can't have anything to do with the God like that. May, again, maybe you're feeling something of that this morning. Maybe even this morning there's a feeling of, I just, uh, I can't believe I'm here. Like the coffee's really good and they play Nintendo games and that's cool. <laughs> but but I, can't, I, I can't really believe I'm here because there's so much that these Christians believe. Or if I really give myself to this, if I really give myself to this God, then am I, am I going to have to tell my friends that I'm like, I'm for this stuff? I, I want to say three things to encourage you and appeal to you even this morning. Number one, number one, if you, sorry, number one, these laws about the treatment of slaves may appear extremely primitive to us, but they were actually extremely progressive in their time, okay? These these laws may appear extremely primitive to us, but they were extremely progressive in their time. Many Christians in Canada love to think about God as being conservative, but... (laughs) Separate topic, different time, okay? But in these verses, the way that God is speaking about slavery, God is so progressive that he makes liberals look like cavemen in these verses. He is being extremely progressive. This type of treatment of slaves would have been shocking for its original audience because their experience in Egypt for some 430 years would not have been this. Did you hear how those verses started? If you have a slave and you keep them for six years, in the seventh, they can go free. Six years, and then the seventh, they can go free. How many years do you have to work until you get to retire? It's more than six. (laughs) Okay? It is. It's more than six. But still, 
The slave in this case has a voice. They can decide, yeah, I'll take my early retirement, or no, I'm gonna, I, I, I choose to commit myself to my master. Again, I know the language is a bit abrasive for us, but they have the choice. They have the choice. It may seem extremely primitive to us, but it's actually very progressive in its time. Number two, if you find yourself being tempted to use these verses as proof text to prove that God is pro-slavery, then you have completely missed everything leading up to this in the Exodus story. Now, we've been in this Exodus story for many, many months now. The Exodus story is a story about freedom. It is a story about not being enslaved anymore. The Exodus story is our story. If you're a follower of Jesus, this story is your story. Spiritually speaking, you were once, as God's people, slaves in Egypt. Brutal, oppressive slavery. But rather than Egypt, for you and for me, if you've given your life to Jesus, that was what sin was doing to you. That's the hold that it had on you. But because of a sacrifice that was made on your behalf, God's judgment came to you but passed over you for all of your sin, for all of your offense. It passed over you and it was placed on another. And that blood was used as currency. Isn't that amazing? That blood was used as currency to purchase you and to purchase your what? Your freedom. To purchase your freedom. This story is a liberation story. And there's an enemy that would love for us to grab verses in this liberation story and turn it into a slavery story, right? We'd love to just twist this and turn it completely upside down. This is a story about freedom. So don't just find one or two or a handful of verses and say, see, it makes my point. No, we have to approach this in its context. And uh, if you're just joining us this morning and you want to catch up on that series that we've been in, it's all on the website. You're going to hear lots and lots of teaching and expounding on what we see in here about freedom, about being liberated, about being redeemed. And number three, and this is, this is what I... I know this morning we've been, I, I've been teaching in a way that's probably a bit more historical than I, than I tend to most Sundays. But if there's nothing else that you take from this morning, and I, I, of course, do hope that you have found this helpful, but if you take nothing else, please take this. This is the most important thing. Okay, number three is this. For our sake, Jesus became the slave in Exodus 21. For our sake, Jesus became the slave in Exodus 21. Let's just look at verses 4 to 6 again. Exodus 21, it says, If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go free, then his master shall bring him to God. See, both the master and the slave belong to God. The master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. This is incredible. This is incredible. In Psalms, the book of Psalms, uh, we often speak about it being written by uh, David, and that is true. That is true. David's also drawing upon a lot of ancient Jewish texts, poems, songs, but we tend to speak about the Psalms as being written by David. But the Psalms, it's a prophetic book. God, and, 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 and specifically, God the Son, Jesus Christ, is speaking through the psalmist in the book of Psalms. 
And there are many examples that we can draw upon for this, but the most uh, commonly cited example is Psalm chapter 22. On the cross, on the cross, Jesus quotes from the Psalms when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. The book of Psalms is a prophetic book. A friend of mine, Joel, in the UK preached through a series in the Psalms, and he called the series Psalms Jesus' songbook, and that's always stuck with me, Jesus' songbook. So Jesus is speaking through the Psalms. On the cross itself, he speaks from Psalm chapter 22 in, in that moment. Like clearly he's, he's saying, this, this is about me. This is my story. This is my song. Even as he's crying out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus again speaks in Psalm chapter 40. This is one that we will be less familiar with. In Psalm 40 verse 6, it says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. An open ear. And we read that, and understandably, and to a certain degree, rightfully, we read that as somebody's mind being open to the things of God. And that is true. That's something that we can bring from this text. But if we look at the Hebrew, the word that is used for an open ear is kara, kara. And what it means, the translation of that is to dig, to excavate, or to dig through. So if we were to translate this literally from the Hebrew, it would say, but you have dug through my ear. Jesus is speaking here. Jesus is speaking, saying that the Father has marked him and that he has made the decision to forever be given to his Father and to his Father's will. He has made that choice, and the Father has marked him as his. Jesus Christ, for our sake, on our behalf, is the slave in Exodus 21 who makes the choice, saying, first, I love my master. He says that of the Father. And again, that's language that sometimes we struggle with a little bit. Oh, no, Jesus doesn't think of the Father as his master. No, he does. He, he really does. The first recorded words that we have of Jesus in Luke's gospel, Jesus is 12 years old. He goes and he teaches in the temple, and his, his, I mean, stunning, stunning parenting, okay? Parents, let this encourage you. Mary and Joseph lose them. They lose them. At, at that time, like, literally, they lose God, all right? At that time, uh, when, when, when people were traveling in big groups, often the men would walk at one end of the line, and the women would walk at the other, and, and Joseph must have thought that he was with Mary, and Mary must have thought that he was with Joseph, and he's not there, and they freak out, okay? I mean, we, we, for about it felt like an eternity. I think it was three minutes uh, once lost Zara in the bay uh, when we had just moved to Ottawa, and I will never forget it. Like Our hearts stopped, and time stood still. So it was just the most horrible feeling. But anyway, with Jesus, they go, and they're feeling, they're feeling that, but even more because they lost God, and then they go, and they find Jesus, and when they speak to him, what Jesus' answer is to them is, did you not know that I was doing my father's business, okay? The translation I'm showing you doesn't use those same words, but that's what he's speaking of, that I was going about my father's business, okay? Jesus very closely identifies with his father as the one who says, go and do this. This is, this is the mission that I am giving to you. 
I must be in my father's house. Again, other translations, about my father's business. Later on in Jesus' life, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So we don't, we don't need to get offended or concerned when we hear language about God the Father being the master of God the Son. We, we really don't need to let that be really upsetting to us because they're enjoying a perfect father-son relationship. And Jesus is doing this willfully. He's doing it willfully, just as the slave in Exodus chapter 21 willfully chooses, no, I love my master. I, I choose to not take the grace that is being afforded to me of going free in the seventh year, but I choose to be my master's forever. I choose to be my master's forever. So Jesus does this for the love of his master, number one. Two, Exodus chapter 21 also makes reference of the slave saying, I love my master and my wife, and my wife. Now, this, culturally, this is a reference uh, to earnings that the slave would have, and then through that, being able to provide for their wife and for their children. But it's not hard at all to hear Jesus saying this, is it? It's not hard at all to hear Jesus saying, because of my love for you, Father, and because of my love for my bride. We read in Scripture that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured suffering on the cross, the joy of being joined to his spouse, of being joined to his wife, for the love of my wife, right? And for the love of his children, for the love of the children of God. Jesus, the very Son of God, endures this for us. He chooses, uh, scholars speak about the transfiguration where, where, where Jesus, uh, he appears briefly in his full glory alongside of Elijah and, and Moses and, and Peter, James, and John are there and they're witnessing this and it's just incredible. And scholars say, it seems as though in that moment, and God the Father speaks, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, the same thing that the Father says over him at his baptism. That at that moment, We could view that as kind of like the sixth year, as it were. Jesus in that moment could have gone, I've done it. I've come. I've perfectly lived out the law. I'm going to go back now. I'm going to go and be with my father now. But he chooses not to. In that transfiguration moment, his glory, his fullness of his glory, seen and just blinding like the sun. But Jesus in his grace and in his humility then chooses again to not be seen in that full glory. Don't confuse that for me saying that he wasn't still fully glorious. It was just concealed. It was just hidden for a time. But not right now. Not right now. Right now he is sat at the right hand of the Father. But you know what is still on him? The marks of one who is submitted. It's not scarring in his ears as in Exodus chapter 21. But in Jesus Christ, on Jesus Christ, right now, at this very moment, are scars in his hands from the cross. Isn't that an amazing thought that in heaven, where there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no death, this is the hope that we have, friends. If you've given your life to Jesus, there is a day coming where that will be your story as well. But right now in heaven, on the hands of Jesus, are those marks that speak of his submission to his father and of his love for his father, his master, his wife, and for the children of God. 